Welcome to the Transit Matters Podcast. It is Tuesday, March 8th, 2016. This is episode 25. Transit Matters is an organization that advocates for fast, frequent, reliable, and effective public transit in and around Boston. It's part of our vision to repair, upgrade, and expand the transit network, the MBTA, or the T. We aim to elevate the conversation around transit issues through informed planning and critical analysis, uh, showing why transit matters and where we go from here. I am Jeremy Mendelson. I'm a geographer, transit service planner, and a longtime Boston transportation advocate. Uh, I co-founded Transit Matters because uh, nobody else was doing it, and we needed to have an organization speaking up for making the T everything that it can be. I'm Josh Fairchild. I'm a board member here at Transit Matters. I work as a lawyer, but in my free time, I like to indulge my passion for improving communities through better development and infrastructure, specifically with regards to transit and transportation networks. Hi, I'm Jared. I'm the newest board member here at Transit Matters. I'm from Oklahoma City by way of Houston and Cincinnati. I work on community revitalization and volunteerism with AmeriCorps, and my passion is where equity, transit, and housing meet. So we are talking today about uh, a number of things, including uh, the most pressing thing on everybody's minds, I think, which is that the MBTA board has voted to increase the fares. Yeah, we knew this was coming, and... um, we have details today, and this is something that... So there was a lot of a lot of public outcry, there was a lot of pressure, and uh, in the end there were a few small changes made, um, but basically the board went with it. So what had been become known as option two, which is the, the larger of their proposals, uh, which is going to be a, temper, a 10 cent increase, uh, excuse me, a 10 percent Overall average, nine point, what is it? Nine point two two. They they made a few right. small cuts. I think the original proposal was nine point five or nine point seven seven was the original. Yeah. yeah, and they they cut it. And I think that it surprised everyone because everyone everyone you know had virtually assumed that, that there was going to be a a an increase. Everyone assumed it was going to be option one, the, the smaller one, unless at the last minute they caved from. Uh, from pressure, and um, I think they surprised a lot of people by going with the the, the higher proposal. Uh, even the folks that had, were advocating, you know, for a fair increase, like the Globe, like the Globe Editorial Board, and, and some other organizations were were advocating for a five percent increase. And so they think they shocked most people with the back in the higher option. There were a lot of people who were advocating for the five percent increase, which basically. Um, came came out of this idea that the legislature had passed a, a, a little section in the law saying that the fares could not increase more than 5% uh, every two years, which um, later was amended and very controversially so to uh, 5% every year. Um, and so... That, so a lot of it centered around that controversy, and there were a lot of groups saying, hey, we said 5%, we knew 5%, it was supposed to be predictable, and that was the way it was supposed to go, and uh, now you're doing 10%, which is not fair. Um, so I'll just give a quick rundown of, of what the, the fares are, although you can see this from the T website. Um, there is a, there's a page, uh, it's on their, their main website. Um, basically, the uh, local bus fare go from $1.60 to $1.70, um, which is a $0.10 cent change. The um, rapid transit fare will go from $2.10 to $2.25, and Link Pass will go up $9.50, and the the seven-day Link Pass goes up $2.25. And there are a number of other things of interest here. You know, I won't go through all of them, but um, basically the you know the commuter rail 
uh, see significant increases as well. Um, the zone eight commuter rail goes from uh, 1050 to 1150, um, which, and I think the pass price is like an extra, a lot, I forget what it is. Oh, here it is, pass type, uh, commuter rail zone eight. Yeah, so it's gonna go up $33, which, you know, if you're trying to live further out to save money, uh, then, you know, that's that's a significant at the very least. Um, so there are a number of of, uh, of items, and you know I'm not going to go into all the details, but in, in the end, the board uh, agreed to not reduce the outer express bus fare, which they had originally planned to do. Uh, they kept it the same, which I think was one of very few things that stayed the same, uh, if not the only thing. And uh, Why do you think they didn't reduce the outer express? I thought that oh, was... Oh, there a, was a big outcry because they were raising the, the local bus fare while they were dropping the outer bus fare. Now, the reason why is... is well, they were they were going to make it the same as the Inter Right, express. they were going to rationalize it and cut out the two tiers from right. the Express, right. but it came across looking looking very, very tone deaf. Um, it was sort of mind-boggling the way they presented it. And they said, we, we took a look and we couldn't figure out why there were two uh, different Express bus fares. And I kind of looked and I was like, okay, well, let's see. Like, one is called the Inner and one is called <laughs> the Outer. And like... Boston is like the inner part of the region. Right. <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I mean, the MBTA service area, I mean, it, it extends halfway across the state. I mean, I mean, you know, Springfield's just a, a stone's throw outside of the, you know, the express area, it seems like. <laughs> so, you know, there, it, it makes sense that there would be two, um, it makes sense that, that there would be two, um, two zones. Yeah, so there are still, still two zones. Um, they, um, with regards to the commuter rail, there's been some pressure uh, that from, from us and some others uh, about trying to uh, redo the commuter, the commuter rail fares, um, on the one hand, reducing them, but also making expanding Zone 1A so that the lower subway fare is, uh, is available further out. And that's something that they agreed to study. So that's, that's at least promising. And uh, one thing they did, which was a little surprising, um, but we, we like it, and it's, um, we'll take some credit for it, um, is the decision to allow transfers, um, allow a single fare to cover bus, subway, and then bus. Um, so it addresses the, some of these uh, multi-vehicle trips that we've been talking about. So if you had to go from Roxbury and take the bus to the Orange Line, and then take the Orange Line, and then take the bus to Chelsea, for example, there would be your, um, your three taps, and it would allow these specific three taps I have uh, sent an inquiry to the T to try to find out if there are any other three-tap moves that are going to be allowed. Bus, 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 or subway, bus, bus. Right. Yeah, this was interesting because this was one of the things that, um, from the beginning, um, and you know, Jeremy pointed out that a lot of the advocacy groups were saying, including us, were saying, um, well, well, there was three things happening. A lot, a lot of advocacy groups were saying... Uh, don't raise the fares at all because the service hasn't in, in, in improved at all. And others were saying, you know, you should hold the line at five percent. And there were some others, um, less less more advocacy group, less of advocacy groups, and more of you know like civic groups and things like that that were just pushing for the lower proposed increase. Um, so it was it was one of the things that we had continued to push the entire time was to say, you know, first of all, we don't think it's time to increase fares because. You know, service has not improved, and it's discretionary. The legislation makes it that you don't need, you don't have to increase fares. It shouldn't be a lockstep, but um, if you need to raise fares, then keep it to five percent. So we were definitely saying, don't raise fares yet, but if you're going to, you need to keep it to five percent because that was the public understanding. That was the agreement 
um, for from everyone at the table. And then, um, and then we were saying, if you're going to increase fares, I mean, even if you don't, you should be doing this. But if you're not going to, if you are going to increase fares, then you need to make the 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 service um, more valuable to the riders and more useful to the riders. And so we were pushing for uh, an enhanced transfer policy or an expanded transfer policy um, and uh, expansion of Zone One A and some other operational um, ideas, such as the all door all door boarding and, and things like that. Um, which we'll get into more of that later, and of course you can listen to other podcasts to hear about that. So we were really excited to hear that they they did adopt the expanded um, transfer model. This wasn't what we were pushing for. We were we've been talking more of uh, for a two hour window on the transfers, but they have added another tap. Um, it's interesting because we didn't really see any signs pointing to that they were thinking about doing this. No, and there didn't seem to be any pressure for that. And there was no fanfare. This just. We just noticed this reading the documents today. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I think part of the reason why the, the fanfare was... You heard it here first. It wasn't in the newspaper. <laughs> yes. There you go. Exclusive exclusive scoop. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think there were a number of kind of hidden nuggets, um, you know, that, that were, you know, really crowded out by, by the protest, which, which you know, if you weren't uh, on Twitter or haven't read the news, you know, got, got pretty heated, so heated to the, the point where um, the, uh, the, the protesters... Um, you know, were, were so loud that the, the the board left the room for a while, then they came back, um, and the the protesters were so loud and standing up actually in front of the in between the um, the crowd and the, the board uh, to where the the board had to yell into their microphones in order to even cast their their vote. And so I think a lot of the 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 things, some kind of hidden nuggets that were actually you know pretty good, all things considered, really got got crowded out by um, by that. And I think some of the things were. Um, a much much smaller increase to seniors than what had originally been uh, been in, uh, been talked about. I think only a dollar. If am I correct on that? Um, I don't remember that specifically. Yeah. Although I will take a look um, here. And I know. I know, the, I know on the bus side, the the bus pass um, is had, didn't go up quite as much as uh, it was right. Supposed the to senior be. the senior trailer card fare only went up by five cents. Okay, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. Card, reading that right? Well, yeah. And, and the pass, I think, only went up by. Um, only went up a really small amount, uh, and I think the student pass, um, a student pass either stayed the same or or was even. They're offering a volume discount, even yeah. lowered. I think. Yeah, it's um, twenty nine. It was supposed. To, well, the student pass is a little complicated because it was supposed to be. So they they've had <clears> the <throat> student pass program, but it's it's only been available if your school participates in it, and not every school participates in it. Now, this Boston Public Schools always has. Uh, you know, Chelsea has, and I believe Malden. Um, there are some schools that, that haven't participated in it, and those students haven't been able to get it. So the pilot youth pass that was in effect uh, the past year was aimed at dealing with that. And so there were, um, but there were still partner schools. that Your school had a partner with the, uh, the T to offer the pass. Um, and so they, now they're talking about expanding that and allowing students to be able to add money at the fair um, at the fair vending machine in the station so that is a big improvement they're also talking about volume discount so instead of thirty dollars it'd be twenty nine dollars if uh, schools buy it okay. right so, the so student, that's what it was the student monthly pass went up four dollars to thirty but if you if your school buys more than a thousand then it only went up three dollars so it's twenty nine dollars for the month and then the other thing they did was they said that it'll be good for 12 months instead of 10 months. Right. So that the students have the pass in the summertime. Right. right. And the, um, the, 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 senior, uh, the senior link pass only went up $1. So those were some, some things that were, 
you know, um, Secretary Pollock, you know, was, you know, after after the after the vote, you know, she talked talk to the press and said, you know, that there were some, you know, there were some things in there that we took from the from the feedback. Um, you know that that you know wasn't heard. Um, so yeah, the student pass is actually it's it's um, it's really good if you think with the perspective of the city of Boston always pushes really hard to um, find jobs for students mm-hmm. during the summer. Yeah, the summer jobs and, program. Right, the summer jobs program. So if they have the passes, you know already, then that really cuts out on the expense, the added expense of them getting to the jobs. In Absolutely. The yeah. Well, and, and I think it's it's also key because. Um, and I, I don't have the statistics on this. I, I you know, I obviously don't have any kids or know anyone that goes to um, any high school students. But I know there's a number of high school students because of how Boston's enrollment work works. Uh, you know, that go to schools across town, and so that was really a, a huge pressure point that um, that advocates really uh, really pushed the T on was the affordability of the student pass. And so I think, you know, to you know, to their credit, um, you know, they did. Um, they did listen to to those concerns and 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 you know yeah. at least spared them a, a, a big increase. That, that's good. I mean, we we actually have a we have a, we have a live input from uh, one of our members, Arkady, who says here. Uh, he says, "I wonder if Express Bus Subway Express Bus works for the transfer," uh, which is interesting. Um, you know, I know Express Bus to Express Bus works now hmm. um, because I found that out. I'm trying to come back on a different Express Bus. I've, it's worked. And, Maybe don't say anything, but um, <laughs> so that's a that's an interesting thought. But I, I one thing I um, I have been a little frustrated by the discussion around the student pass um, because it's it's kind of been framed as you know this is going to cost the Boston Public Schools X amount of dollars. I think it's one and a half million dollars, mm-hmm. whatever was the the difference. And you know that's not fair because education, schools, and the children, and and whatever. Um, but it's these are two government agencies, here. so it's it's kind of these these silly political debates that we often have. Well, does the T own it? Does the city own it? Does the DCR? Own it? You know all this stuff, and it it sort of reminded me of that. It's somebody's got to pay for it, and my understanding is that when the city started putting all their students on the T to get to school uh, last year, my understanding is that there was not a, a transfer of money from the city to mm-hmm. the T. So it's kind of a little weird that the city wants. It doesn't want that to happen in reverse, right? Yeah, because I think that um, now I don't I actually don't I know um, frightfully little about the way that we are computing our state subsidy for schools um, in in Massachusetts, but I do know that other states the transportation issue is a part of that funding, and so if your district is able to save money on transportation, you have more money for things like right. books and teachers right. and things like that. Yeah, buses and, come directly from the general... Right, budget. exactly. And so they don't. it's not like you get you know additional um, funding from the state because your bus has to drive farther necessarily. So that it's, you know, it is a real concern um, because, well, in the last few months, it's, I know, it's the school budget, the BPS budget has been a huge issue. Um, but yeah, it's kind of one of those uh, agency kind of turf war kind of things that, that we deal with. Um, you know, one of the so so we do speaking to Ar- Arcadi's um, live uh, question. Um, <laughs> he doesn't realize it's live. But yeah, it's yeah. Live. <laughs> um, on the transfer policy, so we, we do need to do our homework and figure out um, if you can get a bus bus subway uh, transfer because that's really helpful for people yeah. who are doing anything other than going downtown. Um, and, and the other issue is, um, you know, it almost the way it's written, the way it was specifically written to be a bus subway bus transfer made me think that they probably there, w- there was there was no additional 
instructions or <laughs> like no explanations. So it makes me feel like they hadn't really flushed it out a lot. Right. You know, like, there may be they were some just looking room. for goodies to soften the blow. They said, yeah, okay, we're going to do this nine percent. Uh, increase, you know, we're going to back the higher thing you know, let's, let's see if we can find a few goodies to sweeten the pot. It's almost like somebody said, oh, you know that Jeremy Mendelson from Transit Matters, you know, he's been getting up here every week and saying that we need to expand our transfer policy. You know, what's that? And then somebody said, well, you know, you get a free transfer from the bus to the subway. And they said, why don't we just add another bus on the other side? And they said, okay, you know. So I'm, I'm just imagining that's how it went down. Um, and maybe they didn't think through all the permutations of how transfers happen in our system. Like, it could be a bus, bus, bus. Does that count? Right. You know? Well, it's funny because this is actually one of the frustrations that I've often had with the, the, the board. And this is, this is true of, of boards and a lot of transit agencies and probably other public services as well, um, where... You know, the board are not transit people, and so they don't really understand how transit works. And a lot of times, you they have these very awkward conversations where I would love to just jump up and say, Hey, you know, like actually, like if you understand the reason that happens is because of this, and we have this issue, and you know, etc. So it's uh, but it's interesting that they that they do it like that. I, I have actually talked to uh, at least one of the board members and um, it's a couple of the staff about the transfers. And we were talking about what are the different technological limitations of this, this fare system. You know, supposedly the current fare system has, makes it difficult to do a lot of things. Uh, but we talk about that, and every time I bring up the issue of transfers to anybody at the T, this is over, you know, going over years. Even this is operational people or policy people? Uh, well, everybody, really. Mm-hmm. Even, even the operational people, even people who plan service. Um, they, they, when I talk to them about how you, know, you can't make a trip from Roxbury to Chelsea, for example, without a you know, super long walk or extra... You know, extra fare, and and they said, well, you know, there's not really a lot of people doing that, and they don't really seem to understand that there's a lot of that because of the way the system is designed. Mm-hmm. Um, it's designed to feed the rail, but we also the system has grown outward too. So you have a lot of circumferential trips. Josh and I were just talking a little, little while ago about, you know, I, you know, if I, I live in Roxbury, if I go to um, if I go to Brighton, you know, it's easy to walk up to the 39, take that up to the 66, to the mm-hmm. 57, or something else is 66 to 57 um, and that's a three bus trip and it's so it's unclear that, that that's probably not going to be covered by this by this new policy but these are the kinds of things that are going on mm-hmm. there's a lot of things there's express bus to bus to subway there's, there's all kinds of stuff and I, I feel like generally the, the people who are making these decisions and, and even some of the people who are designing the bus routes don't really understand these things and how they work and it's it's maybe incumbent on us to try to um Amplify that. Yeah, well, and I think the question is when someone uh, in the T says, well, not a lot of people do that, I think the question is, have you ever thought about why a lot of people don't do that? Right. <laughs> you know, or, or, do you have, or do you have proof? Or is this just an anecdote? Well, that's the other thing. Like, if you, if you have a commuter rail um, monthly and that, you know, you just show that a lot. Like, if you're getting on a bus, you just show it. There's no tracing. There's no data mm-hmm. showing that you got off at Forest Hills and got on a bus, right. you know, or vice versa or something like that. I'm sure there's lots of different examples of that, but they just don't have a good way of tracing that. And, you know, I think when, when it comes down to fare, we keep talking about fare technologies. And I know, you know, Mark Abunia is not in the room and Mark gets mm-hmm. really excited, um, probably for good reason, about all different kinds of fare technologies and it's all proprietary and all the things that we're going to be able to do when we get to the next generation of XYZ. And, you know, I was, um, you know, I was recently in Houston and got to ride their transit system and was really blown away by the way they do their fares and their transfer policies. Now, they you know, were the biggest transit system in the country that didn't have light rail. 
until I think 2008 when they yeah. you know started. I think it's the red line was the, the first the one. The red line, yeah, yeah, which line. yeah, um, and it's it's a long uh, light rail line, but they have a three hour transfer window, which is extremely generous. And I mean, and their buses, it's it's like a dollar sixty five. And I know distances are different, you know, in, in Houston than they are here, you know. But I I took a 13 mile bus trip for a dollar sixty five that had a three hour transfer window, so I transferred to the light rail, you know, for free. And then I, you know, had lunch and then got back on, and it was still in the three-hour window, right? Yes. So I mean, that was that was incredible. And, and the Houston Metro is, is the size of, of, of Rhode Island, so I mean, we're talking about a, a huge network. Oh yeah, I mean, yeah, it's like the size of Eastern Massachusetts. Yeah, yeah I mean, it's, so it's huge. But the, the other thing I noticed about their their transfer system is when I got on the bus, I paid. I didn't, you know, I didn't have. Um, I can't remember what their card is called, but I didn't have one, so I paid a cash fare, um, and. They the and I, I just asked for a transfer and the driver gave me this little pink slip of paper you know and it said like AM transfer and basically so basically in the morning people who ask for transfers get like this slip in the afternoon they get a PM slip I guess and it had an arrow I don't know what the arrow for maybe it was for inbound or something like that and and then it had you know like a a, a dot punched in it somewhere and some numbers so basically. The the idea is that they can sort of prove like generally when this when the window should be for this right. transfer, but that's extremely low tech. There's no reason why we can't implement things like that. Now, for tracking purposes, that might be difficult, um, but they also don't have fare gates. You know, their entire system is out of system, you know out of um, what I'm trying to say um, out of system transfers because right. they don't have fare gates. So it's not like you're it's not like transferring the orange line to the red line at, at downtown oh, crossing right. or something. Right. Yeah. So you know, like at their their light rail stops are all similar to, you know, surface, you know, D-line stops or, you know, B-line stops. Right. And, and they just have lots of fare inspectors, which, you know, it, it proved to me that you can do it. You know, yeah. they had lots of fare inspectors all over the place, not at every station, but it was pretty – it seemed like a pretty common thing. And it's the third busiest light rail system in the country. So we're not talking yeah, about – you know, we're not talking about, oh, well, that, that's fine. Houston can do it because there's no one riding it. I mean, we're talking about it's not that far off the ridership of the Green Line. Yeah. And it was instead of having fare gates, the, the rule was if you were on the platform, you were supposed to have yes. validation. It says a little little sign, you know, right. fair area. This is a fair right. area, even though there's there's no gates or anything. They could know. do. They sometimes could do enforcement on the platform. Yeah, they could. I mean, the the, the right. you know transit police or whatever was there were asking to see people's tickets, and they the funny thing is that the, the transit uh, I guess they were calling inspectors, but they were similar to our transit police. Really, that's what they looked like, and but they they had the scanners there, so you know they could validate your fare if you hadn't done it yet. Right. You know those kinds of things. But it really proved to me. Now that's a smaller rail system, so I know that'd be difficult to do that at every single surface level green line stop. You know, I, I get that. What's but, that, the inspection? Right. But yeah. see, you know, it would have to just be spot inspections. But the inspections on every single light rail stop in Houston. Right. And, 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 and you know, I, I know they don't. And, and so it's like, you know, once 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 you start that culture and once you once you do it enough times at enough of the high the high places, you know, people will get in the, in the habit of it. And so I, I think, you know, I, I really don't think that there's any excuse for them not to just to look seriously look at you know proof of payment system, but this transfer policy is something that um, Transit Matters are going to continue to to push. Um, and I think not necessarily the T cares, but when you get to more of a transfer window as opposed to how many taps that you have, um, it's a real economic development tool because you know we we met with um, Rosendale Village um, Main Streets 
And we were talking to them about how, you know, if they had a better transfer policy between commuter rail and the buses and then more of an, you know, the, a bigger zone, a bigger time slot for your transfer, then more people would be willing to get off the bus or get off the train and get uh, and buy something at the shops there and then get back on because they wouldn't be having to pay again. Mm-hmm. You know, so these are some of the things that we're going to continue to push for and think about and try to enlighten people about um, in the Boston metro area. And this is one of the things where we need to work with. Um, and if you're, you know, those of you who are listening and are wanting to advocate where you're at, you know, talk to your city councilors, your town selectmen, because these are the people who need to really be, those are the people who care about um, economic development. You know, the T probably doesn't care so much about that. But if they're starting to hear from every city council and every, you know, um, town council in the region, then they'll start to think more about it. Yep. Yep. And I, I mean, I... It's, it's definitely, you know, when we talk about extra transfers, um, this is the kind of thing that we, the, it's the stopovers that, you know, we're, we're not addressing. It's this idea of, and, and to some extent, I mean, the, the fare system, like a place like Houston has, and, and every light rail system in the country, except for us in Philly, I believe, is the, you know, the two, the two oldest ones that the most, most resistance to change. Um, but, you know, every, it, like, the, one of the advantages to a system like that is that it, it allows a lot of freedom. You know, if you, you get on, you forget something, you can go back. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of flexibility. Oh, Jeremy, that, that was the – and I know I'm kind of dominating this right now because I was pretty excited about Houston. And this is – I'm, I'm working on bringing um, some persons or at least, at least one person that's more expert in the Houston system to have to be a guest on a future show. And I think that's something we should start doing is, you know – as we travel, those of you who are out there, you should give us ideas for systems that we should bring guests on to talk about. But the other thing that I thought was genius there that I had never heard of anywhere else before, maybe you guys have heard of it before, they had a three-tap max. Um, so you couldn't spend more than – the max fare for the day was $3. They don't have day passes or monthly passes. They just have a, a $3 max fare for any given day. So the way it works is – um, if you use the, the card, so I paid a dollar sixty-five, I guess, in cash or something like that. But it was like a dollar fifty if you were using, you know, the card, the sort value card. So the first tap is dollar fifty. The second tap is a dollar. Uh, well, shoot, I'm doing that. It's dollar twenty-five. What it was. Sorry, my apologies. So it's like a dollar twenty-five, a dollar twenty-five. So you're at two fifty now, right? And then the third tap is just fifty cents. Gets you to three dollars, and now the rest of the day you're good. So effectively, you know, if you were going to ride, if you were basically doing weekdays, you know, effectively a, um, you're the maximum you would spend in a month, you know, would be, um, $60, yeah. right? Um, so I thought that was, that was genius. It was, it was, it saves them from having all these discussions about monthly and weekly and all that kind of stuff. And it's, that, that's extremely equitable to say, you know, $3 a day like that. That's rude. Yeah, you don't have to make a decision at the beginning of the month whether you're going to use a pass or exactly. not. It incentivizes ridership. Yeah, right. When and when it's three dollars a day, you're not. You know, the penalty for using it on the weekend is not huge. Exactly. And you know, you also look at you know, it's uh, it makes it easier for tourists. You know, if that if they know you know if they know they've got a, a, a you know a three hour window that makes it a lot easier. I know I just have to buy this this ticket and it's it's you know three hour window or I know the max I'm going to spend is. You know, it's three dollars versus here. You know, you've got to decide. You know, you've got to decide. Do I do I fiddle with it and do I you know put put money on a on a card or do I buy a ticket? You know, for every damn here, or do I just drop twelve dollars even though I'm only going to be here for three days? Right. There's an example I've been using, and I don't know if anybody else does this, but there is now finally after many many years, uh, there's now a supermarket at Downtown Crossing, 
and uh, I often will stop there. Yeah. Um, this requires you to pay again if you do not have a monthly pass. Um, because you have a monthly pass, you know, monthly pass users are doing a lot of things that, you know, they might not do if they had to pay for them. Yeah, I, um, I would not. I shop at that grocery store all the time and exactly for that reason. Right. So, yeah. I mean, you think about stuff like that, about how these things can really improve people's lives. It's, it's difficult to quantify, but it, it makes such a big difference. And one of the struggles, you know, that's a really good example. So, I, I feel the same way when I used to, I don't really, I don't travel downtown. I work at home a lot more now, so I don't tend to have a monthly pass. But when I, I remember when I did, I would, you know, run all kinds of errands. And I wouldn't think about if I was going to make six trips or eight trips a day or something like yeah. that. And now I think about it a little bit more. Um, but from operationally and, and fiscally, from the, the T standpoint, they're probably thinking, oh, well, the, the more trips we encourage, we're not getting paid. We're getting less subsidy, less fare box recovery per trip. So why should we encourage that, right? Like they really just want to encourage more paying trips. <laughs> um, but what we need to really think about is the fact that, and I don't remember who said this. This was like, I heard this on um, Talking Headways, um, with Jeff Wood's podcast. I don't remember who, who his guest was, mentioned that it's like your commute trip is only like 18% of all trips that you make in a given week or a given month or whatever it is. And so... Most, even though we design our roadways and our transportation systems to accommodate, you know, the work and back commute, that's, you know, a very small amount in the big picture. But if you have a fair system that encourages people to make all kinds of trips other than their commute, you know, they're not thinking about well, how many work days in the month and two trips a day, you know, whatever it is, then that really encourages people to plan their lives more around using transit. And so even though there's like that marginal decrease that, you know, the T is recovering for every trip. They're encouraging people to use transit a lot more. And yeah. so the benefit for society is exponentially larger as people tend to reform their lives around that. And as people are using the T more, they're actually probably going to end up netting more because that person is spending every day instead of just two days a week. Right. Well, it, it's like, you know, yes, you'll, you'll get, you'll, you'll get less money, you know, per day for that, that person. But if you make it easier, you, you'll have people buying passes. You know, if you'll have people giving them more money up front, and then I, you know, I think that's the system they prefer anyway. It's a, it, this is an interesting discussion because I, I think this shows how the T is often viewed and often views itself as operating in a silo. And when we talk about this issue of, of encouraging more trips, do you want to encourage more trips? The whole idea of the monthly pass was, you know, from a time when the work commute seemed to make up a lot more of the of the trips and and it was it was basically well we have capacity at the other time so if people want to take trips the other times it's great and it encourages them to travel at peak uh, but the thing about it now is is travel patterns have changed a lot and we want people to use public transit you know we want people to take the T and when we have a system where it's very cheap to drive a car if you already own it um, people always take me to task for that one but um, it's it's expensive to buy a car and to, to own it and park it and all that. But once you have it, if you have free parking space in front of your house and you get free parking at the supermarket and all the rest, uh, it's almost cost almost nothing to actually drive it for these these short trips in the city where uh, we want people using public transit. So we have to think about this from from that angle as well as things like revenue. The T responds in the the only way they really know how, which is what a lot of transit agencies will do. They'll say, "Yeah, we feel you. You know, we understand. People can't afford it. It's tough. You know, we don't want to discourage people. But at the end of the day, we got to balance the T's budget, and this is what we have here. And we don't have extra revenue, and that's not our, you know, it's not our ability to set the gas tax or whatever. So we are just going to raise our fares. Um, and the T has to be part of that. 
Um, this is Governor Baker's board. Um, and Governor Baker has <laughs> some control and legislature has control of other issues and they need to be voicing some of these concerns and there needs to be some, some discussion about thinking about all these different modes together so that we're not just... No, we're not just putting it all on the team. One, one of our one of our uh, uh, frequent commenters had said, you know, the T seems to think sometimes, you know, if if we lose money for every trip, then if we encourage more trips, we just lose more money. <laughs> so basically, we want to we want to get it down to as few trips as possible, you know, because because the idea <laughs> is that it's much easier to run an empty bus than it is to run a bus that's like packed and it's taking you know your dwell time is like five minutes you know per major stop right so it's like the driver would probably just prefer like nobody on the bus you know the trips on time all these things and and one of the issues is like there's there's a much larger economic picture than just the transit agency and we need to figure out how to align the business community and the transit agency and the city and the state because all these budgets you know these budgets are aligned you know people live their lives in in overlapping ways and so we need to figure out how to make sure that the T's priorities are not to reduce trips <laughs> to make operations easier, but are to you know increase the um, the how well off the entire Commonwealth is. Right. Well, and, and I think the globe, and I think um, universities and think tanks. I mean, you, you know, the whole all of the you know all of the thought leaders are are, are realizing this, and you know, there's. You know, an editorial every week about how important the T is to the to the Commonwealth's economy and 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 how the T is is part of what makes Boston such an attractive place to live in terms of what making a, a walkable transit you know dependent city and so if, figuring out how that message gets to the T that that you know they need to think of themselves as as not just not just a conveyance for you know nine to five but as you know one of the the drivers of the economic growth in the region. That's the case I've been making for the commuter rail. That the commuter rail is not just for nine to five commuters anymore. It's uh, you know we still call it the commuter rail. Uh, we probably shouldn't, but it's you know all kinds of people making all kinds of trips at all times, and right. we need to we need to be mindful of that. And I wonder how we can get the T to incorporate that. I mean, there's got to be a way that we can incentivize the T to care about things that are not just. Yeah, to, to care about those things that are sort of externalities from their perspective, which would be the traffic congestion um, and, you know, the quality of life and the noise and all the rest. I wonder if if there's a way to do that. I think showing them, sh- I think showing them the money, you know, showing them, okay, if, you know, if we, you know, if we get, you know, times down with signal priority and, and with all door boarding and, and some of these things that affect dwell time and bus time, you can turn the buses around quicker. You can get more people on there. And I, and I know we, you know, we just have the joke about, you know, about more people, you know, is just more headache for them to deal with. But I, but I think the, the people at the team that, that want to make decisions, that when they want to move things in the right direction, I think if you show them the money case, if you show them, you know, you're, you're, you're losing, your fares are so high on the weekend, you're running the train anyway, but you're still running, running them empty. If you lower the fares, you know, you can get more people on the you know, on the uh, on the commuter rail, you know, the, the commuter rail isn't running at this time, but there's so many people, you know, making these bus trips from here to here to here, that you've got an empty train going, you know, just showing them, you know, that there's an economic case and that there's people who would use the service. Yeah, you know, um, this is one of the things that we're, that we're trying to make the case to, and we're, we're continuing to... Um, rationalize to ourselves and develop our internal arguments so that we can perfect them, you know, externally. 
about how we can encourage the tea in these ways. And, and it's not just the tea. Like one of the things that Transit Matters um, you know, organizationally is doing moving forward is putting a lot more of an emphasis on um, activating um, the grass tops, as, as Mark's always calling them. But the organizations that are already in existence in the community um, that care about economic development and jobs and um, you know, housing and quality of life and parks, all these groups you know, they're all impacted by transit. You know, these things all play together. And so we're trying to figure out what are the best ways that we can activate those groups to have, to think about transit and transportation when they're just incorporating that into the advocacy they're already doing and incorporate that into the messaging they're already doing with their community and getting their members to think about, you know, transit so that everybody has the message and everybody has the vocabulary for transit and everybody's understanding the mechanics um, and the operations of transit as they affect the things they really care about, um, because most people don't care about transit by itself. You know, most people aren't you know like us in the room here. Um, so that's one of the things that, that we're really working on. And um, our caddy, one of our one of our members, um, has he, we're gonna, this might be published, um, but if if not published, um, you know, in a in a newspaper or, or such, it's going to definitely be you know a blog post from us. But he's come up with a proposal to present to the T about um, off peak um, commuter. Um, policies that that the the T could implement to basically get free money because people are aren't riding the empty trains that are going back um, for off peak runs to go pick up more people to come downtown. So how can we get some of that free money? And so he's come up with some really good ideas. Um, and uh, you know we'll try to get him on here to you know talk a little bit of that in maybe the next podcast. Um, but these are some of the things that that we're working on um, for that. The other thing, uh, one of the other things that we're doing is, and that we've had some excitement at Transit Matters is. But, you know, beginning to work with, um, you know, city councilors um, and, and local legislators to think about, you know, how do we stimulate the economy and help our local businesses and help our citizens and how, do, how does that interact with, with the T. And one of the things that's come out of that and, and one of the things we didn't mention is that the T is uh, – uh, the, the Financial Management Control Board has requested a, a study for commuter rail zones and Jeremy mentioned this. Um, and – this is something that they've noticed has come up a lot in these hearings is commuter rail zones. One of the reasons is we're mentioning it all the time. Um, and Boston um, City Council President uh, Michelle Wu and Matt O'Malley was one of the city councilors and, and the other one I can't remember um, off the top of my head. They had a hearing last week um, with the um, with Frank DePaula, the um, general manager of the MBTA, to talk about and ask some questions about commuter rail fares. The idea is they're wanting to expand Zone A, Zone 1A to basically include all of Boston. And the timing is good because there's a fare increase, and the timing is good because West Station and um, Boston Landing are you know close enough on the horizon that people are starting to think about what zone are they going to be in. Um, and so these are the kinds of conversations. And one of the reasons that I was bringing this up, um, Jeremy, is because we were talking about you know the T's perspective on things. And um, I was just, you know, really shaking my head when I was listening to some of the things that um, general manager was saying about commuter rail. And he was saying, well, commuter rail is – the purpose of commuter rail is to carry, you know, thousands of people from the outer suburbs into the downtown core at 60 miles an hour. And that's, that's what commuter rail is good at. And he was saying commuter rail is just not built for and it's not good at off-peak trips. You know, and he was just stating that as like this is the fact, and this is almost like this is how the rail works, like yeah. like like the actual infrastructure itself <laughs> can't function in a different way. And 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 Jeremy, you were saying that's not what you know. This is not what commuter rail is anymore. But right. the problem is, 
to the people running it, it is still that because there's a policy decision made about what kind of trips and how we're going to schedule things. And then they just think, well, that is the way that these locomotives operate yeah. is only to do this. And, and it's true that the locomotives, the big diesel locomotives operate better, you know, over longer distances with fewer stops, you know, things like that. And they can tow heavy loads as opposed to, you know, stacking up, you know, single DMU cars. Um, but it's like they don't. It doesn't have to operate that way, right? You know. Well, and, and even still, I mean, you know, yes, that's the way they operate best. But you still have you still have the Needham line. You still have stops that are that are that, that are not you know not at speeds where you're going to be flying at sixty miles an hour. So you might as well take advantage of that anyway. I mean, unless they're going to you know get rid of those get rid of those stops, then his argument doesn't make sense. You know, you have those stops there. Why not price them in a way that gets the most people on them? I mean, you know. we we need a we need a real vision for the commuter rail, and uh, luckily, Transit Matters has one. Um, <laughs> and part of that vision is is that we need to rethink the way the commuter rail operates. So it's it's very easy to to say, well, the commuter rail is different than the subway, and um, yes, we can't we can't use current equipment and run it every five minutes and expect it to to handle the, the loads well. But we really need to be thinking about how how it works in other places. How you have a place like you know Washington D.C.'s Metro Rail, and you have like uh, BART in San Francisco, mm-hmm. that is sort of a hybrid of subway and commuter rail. Yeah. And and that's the kind of thing that we really need to be working towards. New Jersey Transit, New Jersey Transit, and um, and uh, SEPTA's uh, commuter rail lines are all are all lines that that have much higher frequency. Um, in their inner in their inner suburbs, and so it's it, it, you know it, it can be done on you know on you know heavy rail you know with heavy rail rolling stock and, and on the you know single track lines and on you know on the type of equipment uh, that you know that, that commuter rail has you know like I said and, and it's also about you know n- not not trying to make you know great the enemy of, of good for right now you know we're we're not going to get to to DMUs and you know ten minute service. If we don't first start, you know, getting to, you know, better than hourly service on, you know, on some of the lines that we already have now. And so, you know, having that conversation about how do we start moving there so that we can get to, to DMUs and all that. Because, you know, we're seeing that problem with, with the Fairmount line now is that if, if you if if you're starting over here and you're you're wanting, you know, um, you're wanting DMUs and, and the people aren't going to be there, you know, because you don't have the service as frequent as it is. And then the, then the state can easily say, well, you know, there's not enough people riding it. Why should we invest in the DMUs? And so if we're not making if we're not making the step to try and get to somewhere in the middle so we can start seeing some kind of increase in the ridership, then we're not going to ever get to, to the DMUs. That's right. Faster service. And the fares are a piece of that. Yeah, you know? huge piece of it. But not but not all of, not all that there is. And so like Fairmont Line, I mean, not only do you need the transfers too. I mean, you can't just, so one of the issues of the Fairmont Line is you get to, so you get to South Station and then what? Right. Um, now you have to pay again. <laughs> that's a major disincentive to using that, uh, especially in low-income communities. Uh, that's so a good that's reason a, for us to really focus on the Fairmont Line as, yeah. as a really good example of you know a system that's trying to do something right in theory, but is really failing. Right. So <laughs> you know, it's really frustrating. all the way. Well, right. Yeah. right. There's um, a bunch of those examples. You know, the Fairmont Line is one of them. I thought it was interesting because Frank DePaula said, um, you know, he said he was saying, well, one of the reasons that we can't run off-peak trains that commuter rail is not made for this is because. Because the, the 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 operators, you know, the the engineers and the um, um, conductors, they work split shifts, and so you know, it's it's a good point to bring up operational um, rationale for to help people understand, like, because most people wouldn't wouldn't it wouldn't occur to them that well well 
you know, the, the operators work split shifts. Like, that's a really good point. But that's a current state, you know, concern. And so it wasn't like, you know, well, right now, this is the way we're structured. The reason that they operate under split shifts is because we focus on the peak. Yeah, it's, this, it's not because, of, like, that's the only way that you can possibly run. This right. is the kind of stuff that just makes me bang my head against the wall because it's the kind of stuff that's sort of, if, if you want to be really even more negative, you would just say these are just a bunch of excuses. That, that we were always hearing and um, you know when we talk about the, the late night service it's this is the kind of stuff that, that we hear oh people don't use it oh well you know it's hard maintenance oh well you know if we you know it's not really every day so you know and then all these excuses and you sort of like and it's like okay like at some at some point is is the leadership of the T going to stand up and, and say we want to be a, a, you know a model you know I know they throw around world class like it's like it's the you know really true but you know we want to be a model transit system that provides economic uh, you know and social opportunity and mobility and freedom and we really want to increase ridership we really want to serve the public and we're going to make to do the things that we need to do and we're going to and instead of saying oh no we can't do that because we have to do maintenance how about saying well you know the impact on maintenance is this and in order to mitigate that we have to do x y and z and you know the options are, are A, B, and C, and let's talk about that, and let's say how much money we need to, to get new cars or whatever. Don't just say we don't have enough cars. Well, the you know the the reason that hearing last week, um, the Boston City Council hearing, was so illuminating was a lot of these comments that Frank DePaulo was making. And I, I don't want to be unfair to him because he's clearly an extremely diligent worker. And when Rich Parr was on the show, I don't know if he made these comments on the show or if it was later extemporaneously, you know, to the four of us um, after the show, but. You know, he was extremely um, commending, you know, of Frank DePaula, um, as have been, you know, Jim Aloisi and several others who have worked at the T, you know, think amazing things of him. But he was clearly like has an engineer cap on. And the most revealing comment that he made was, you know, we're the ground troops. We deliver the service. And that that tells you right there, the head of the agency is not picking his hand head up. He's not looking, you know, ahead. He's not thinking 20 or 30 or 40 years down the line, at least in terms of what our network could be. If he's looking down the line, it's like, you know, when do we need to replace the rails, things like that. You know, so that's the reason why organizations like ours, you know, we have to be the ones who are who are providing the vision and we have to be the ones who are getting local, you know, governments and the state government to think more visionary because you're not going to get it from somebody who says, we're the ground troops. And we deliver the service. Yeah, I mean, five words. We've always done it this way, you know, and that, that, <laughs> that, that, that's that's kind of their their operating mantra for, uh, for right now. Do you want to take a couple minutes to update people on the late night service, and then we can talk about the uh, taxes? Well, we didn't we didn't mention probably the most important thing about um, the fare hikes was that they the, the board voted <clears throat> to um, move all the extra money from the fare hike into a lockbox, um, which you know it's it's it's. Bittersweet because if, if there's money, and so they said year one they were going to be able to move twenty five million dollars into the lockbox, and year two forty three million dollars into the lockbox. Um, the disappointing thing about that is that shows that clearly the fares, the increased fares, were not needed for operating. You know, and so that I think the point has been made multiple times that these fares were not necessary, which is one of the most disappointing thing about it. Um, yeah, it makes you wonder why they why they did it. Well, why did they cut late night service if they can afford to? You know, they can't find. Uh, $13 million for late night service, but they can set or aside... Or $9 million, depending on which... Or $9 million, right, exactly, yeah. Their, their recent report said nine, <laughs> they can't find $9 million, yet they can set aside $25 million 
in a lockbox. All the priorities. So yeah. I think I think it's pretty clear that that the operating cost of late night was not the reason that it that it failed. So now, so we want to talk about late night, Jerry. Sure, we'll talk about late night. So there was this. Um, so the team said that in January that they um, were they started to do so basically. The way it works in, in transit, the transit is very heavily regulated by the Federal Transit Administration um, for purposes like uh, ensuring you're providing uh, equal service to poor people and uh, black people and versus white people, for example. Uh, you know, pretty basic stuff. Uh, this is the type of government regulation that everybody loves to rail against. Um, but anyway, um, the so the FDA has this thing that says that if you're going to make a service cut or any kind of any kind of major service change, it could be could be a, an increase. Then you have to do an analysis and you have to see how this impacts people of uh, of different different means um, and uh, different uh, income and race and gender, etc. So the T is supposed to do that anytime they do. So they do that for the fare for the fare increase. They did it. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean you have to uh, to take action on on that based on that report. You have to amend what you're doing. Unless it find, the analysis finds that there is a, a, a disparate impact on uh, any disadvantaged group, so um, this is basically what's going on with the late night service, where the T said in January that um, they started to do the analysis um, and they hinted that it was going to find that there's a disparate impact on low income and minority people. Um, That's you know, a given. Kind of like <laughs> yes, <laughs> thank you. Um, <laughs> And, but then they said, well, we don't have to do it because it's not a major service change. And the, the case was that, you know, it's only two days a week and it's, it's a it's pilot program. A pilot program, yeah. right. But the way the FTA defines that, um, and I said this. More than the, 12 months, right? Is that what, the rule? Right, right. And so this has been more than 12 months. It actually was more than 12 months before they cut the service. The first time. The first time. Yeah. So, uh, and then there's a complaint filed about that. So there was this ongoing thing, and the T said, oh, yeah, we've talked, we're in touch with the FTA, and they, they took the vote, and then a few days later, the FTA sent them a letter and said, you can't do that. A very strong <laughs> rebuke. Yes. Very strong rebuke. I haven't seen a copy of it, but I've, uh, I've heard that it's so... Uh, Poor it's survey to... data, operational concerns, and budgetary constraints do not exempt the, uh, the MBTA from, from doing the, the requirement. Nice. So... Um, th- what's up in the air is uh, what comes out of this. And the T cut the. Somebody took me to task on, on Facebook for this, um, for saying that. The tea, well, people have been taking me to task for for a while on Facebook for this because people keep keep saying that that late night service is not. You know, nobody rides in. It's you know, it's only for drunk people and you know all this silly stuff. Well, nobody rides at 10 a.m. on Sunday either. But we're not yes. cutting that. <laughs> Thank you. Um, and so, so they keep, you know somebody was taking me to task for saying the T did this. You know, they they already decided that they were going to cut. They were going to cut the late night service before they voted on it, um, which is true because the drivers were already picking their work. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we're always having these arguments. But but the reality is that now that the service is removed, um, they're not going to go back and, you know, the union driver's union is not going to say, oh, okay, let's, let's just go back and redo the pick all over again now that we've planned our lives for the next three months. So what happens now? What if they do a mitigation, what is mitigation? Are we talking about a couple extra chips in the morning? Or? So they they said that the mitigation they're planning is um, some increased frequency to low income areas during actual service hours. You know, their 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 plan, and they they've they've said as much, uh, is is that they're going to produce this uh, equity analysis within the next by the end of this week or by the, or by Monday or Tuesday. Uh, and so they, they're going to do the equity analysis within the time frame uh, of, of the surface cut, um, you know. And, 
Well, they, I mean, they have to. Otherwise, I mean, I guess I don't know what happens if they don't. But I mean, they have to have some satisfactory result before. But how do they add service? You know, they have service and all the work has been picked. So I, I don't know how. That I works. But, but see, I, and, and I, I don't know that, that there's a requirement to add the service. By the time right, the, yeah. um, the the report comes out, you just have to state that you are going to add uh, mitigation service in the future. It seems like a loophole. Meanwhile, <laughs> we've got two state senators that are calling the tea to task uh, about the issue, and they're demanding hearings and um, are asking for late night to be reinstated. And we'll see what happens. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't know Darcina Fori, but I know Senator Trang Diaz is a representative of Roxbury, and um, she came to the Roxbury. Uh, fair increase mm-hmm. hearing and, and was was ex- gave an excellent speech. I think it ought to be interesting. I know uh, Senator Rosina uh, Fori is is um, she's a rep for for Dorchester, uh, and and she's somebody who's who's kind of got rising uh, rising stock and and has really um, you know won over quite a few people even in her her district, which is majority white, uh, I believe. Um, but yeah, so I think ha- having her. Having her behind it definitely adds some some gravitas to it. We'll see just how much that uh, that adds to it. I, I think to to go back to your point um, that you know it, it's clear that the team made up their mind before they before they voted on this because even as far back as um, is November October when they were first floating out this idea, you had I want to say three or four uh, board members quoted in the article saying uh, it's really not something you know I, I, I'm okay with cutting it it's really not something that's it's a core part of our business and so you know I, I think you know we've, we've been we've seen through their comments that it's really something they never had any any loyalty to or really had too much interest in in saving well that could be said of the the fair increases and everything sure absolutely. so so for those of you who aren't following um, last Friday um, so so um, Mass Inc. I think it was Mass Inc. Maybe it was somebody else also submitted a FOIA request. Probably several groups did a FOIA request, um, Freedom of Information Act request to get the survey data that the MBTA was trumping as like this is this data supports you know um, a fair increases or at least saying that you know the respondents were you know not not as we're not going to stop writing it. What was it? Modest objections. I think that's what was the yeah. kind of characterization and. And so, of course, there was requested that they release the data, and 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 it was released. Uh, it was like four o'clock on Friday afternoon, or something like that, last Friday. A news dump. Uh, of course, a news dump, and of course, they were going to vote on Monday, right? So, so you know, less less than like twelve business hours, and uh, when when um, people started looking into the data, uh, they were seeing that there was just all kinds of you know ways that the data had been misconstrued. Um, that whole chunks left out. Right. Names, data left out. Whole chunks left they, out. You know, they had changed like the way they were taking, um, asking some questions, but then they they didn't actually take only that the change selections when they were you know averaging out. They averaged over. So I, the example was you know they didn't originally have the option to say I wouldn't I would stop no, writing. Yeah. You know if, if you increase the fares I'll stop writing. It was sort of like. Are you for it or against it? But they, they didn't allow anybody to say they would well, say They said a few respondents had already responded, and then we added this question. The real number was 268 yeah. people had already taken the survey right. before they realized, 
oh shoot, we should add an option that says I just won't write it. Right, and so they didn't correct for that when they when they began to do their calculate their percentage of you know respondents things like that. They also included personal information of respondents, which you know from a legal standpoint. Are you serious? Yeah, so right, so they they ended up including. I mean, we talk about they, these people. Oh my god! I mean, it's just you bang your head against the wall. They just they just didn't they just didn't do a very good job of culling the data to make sure you know there was nothing you know people people I'm sure didn't go online and fill out a survey thinking. Oh well, you know, news outlets are going to have like you know information that can locate me, yeah. you know, and figure yeah. out who it was that gave this response. So, so I think that should be embarrassing. I'm surprised nobody, you know, there's a lot of there was a lot of talk about it on Twitter, but I haven't seen you know much in the press that really embarrassed them about that. So, um, I mean, what struck me in that in that there were a couple of items that, that struck me was that the number of people who said that they wouldn't ride anymore um, was just now. Of course, there's always going to be people who say that, and then they, you know, you're just grin and bear it, right? Uh, but there's also there's this sense that uh, at any more than any other time in the past that the service has pretty much is, is really really suffering. Um, you know, I mean, you know, if you take it, I mean, it's you know, it's crowded, it's late, it's you know, it has serious reliability problems and, and all the rest, and it's getting worse. And this is what people have been saying, so. It, it makes me wonder if the number of people who would just give up with the T is going to be much higher than it might otherwise be. I think there's more people. A, I think T for May estimated four four million four million rides per year. Okay. Four million fewer yeah riders per year. Out of what like hundreds? Out of like three hundred million. Three hundred million. Yeah. I think that um, there's more people that are sort of at their breaking point mm-hmm. with their relationship with the T than, right. than in any time probably in recent memory. Um, I mean, we're, we're in a tough place because I think I think things are going to change once we start getting like delivery of all the new subway cars and things like that. But we're sort of in this really bad place right now yeah. where you know, there's bad news, bad news, bad news. I've asked the question. I mean, there's a lot that could be done on the bus side, certainly. We don't have to wait you know, four years for that. But I've also asked the question... Um, what can we do to get the subway cars here sooner? Because I wonder, I mean, you know, they say all this stuff to build a facility. I mean, you know, could we, you know, I know, well, so for example, I mean, I know that there's money involved and there's politics and everything, but I, I wonder if, you know, if we say we have an emergency, you know, what can it take? Do we, do we build them somewhere else? Do we, um, do we make them work 24 seven if they're already not? Do we, you know, are there things that we can do? To get maybe we can borrow cars from from somewhere else that we can modify, uh, because if we don't do anything, I think what's going to happen. I mean, I ride the orange line almost every day, and you know, and it's it's in really bad shape. And mm-hmm. you see similar stuff on the, the red panel line falling off and right. the fire. Yeah, for example, ago, I mean, it's like oh my god, shape. like the thing. Yeah. So and then they the way they you know, they love to blame that on the employees. Like oh well, you know, now we're going to do an inspection. It's totally fine. We apologize. Everything's great. Instead of saying like, look, this is the condition of our fleet, and we have an emergency. So I think if if we don't do anything, then we're going to have a situation in, I think, a year or two. I don't know if it's going to be a blizzard or, you know, it's going to be a big flood or it could be, who knows? It could just be some some, some other unrelated thing that, you know, the half the fleet is out of service all of a sudden on the orange line. Uh, are we going to do what we did last winter and just say, oh, okay, well, we'll just hope for the best? Or, you know, are we going to wind up, like, bossing half the orange line? Or are we going to are we going to have some serious problem like that? And I just don't think it's being, if there's any discussion of that. Right. Right. So I'm like that's something I really worry about. I think our last um, update for the show, um, we we've kind of 
dropped in and out of talking about, um, you know, trying to increase the work that we're doing with um, city councils, um, town, you know, municipal governments, things like that. So and, and so we talked, you know, a bit about the um, Zone 1A hearing that happened uh, last week. And is it next week is the signal priority hearing? I believe so. I have to double check on that. I think it's the 14th. So this is another Boston City Council hearing um, um, talking about signal priority. So this is really encouraging because this is, you know, the city realizing that, you know, the signals belong to the city, the streets belong to the city. You know, there's, there's only so much that... Um, the the T can do um, to increase you know how fast the buses can move move for these areas. So um, if you're uh, hearing about these, do we what, what date did we have for that, Jeremy? It's it's not the 14th. The 14th is actually the just cause eviction hearing. Okay. Um, well, keep keep an eye on the website yeah. and our and our Twitter handles, so you'll you'll see that. And we really encourage you to attend attend that hearing. And we're hoping this is going to be the first of several that we're going to see around the region where. Um, you know, municipal governments are starting to get more involved in, in putting pressure on the T or thinking creatively about how the city itself can um, provide ways to um, help ease congestion um, and, and help um, just smooth, you know, the, the operations. Yeah, and reach out to us if you have something that, that you're interested in and that you, you know, want to talk about with us. I mean, we have experience in some of these things and, and we, we spend a lot of our energy thinking about this stuff. Um, but also, if there's things that we should know about, then um, you know we need uh, we need people to do things, and we also um, are interested in doing stuff ourselves. So, um, yeah, if, you, if you're involved in you know a local neighborhood group that is wanting to improve your local main street, or just you know think of X thing that you're involved in that's local, it relates to transit. I guarantee it. Um, reach out to us. We want we want to start working with groups like this to, to think about how transit um, impacts the things that they care about and how they can also um, um, help improve the trans the transportation picture around them that will make their communities better. Yeah, I mean, think about your, your daily experiences and how uh, different, different aspects of transit cause difficulties in, in one way or another, you know, whether it's that, you know, you're always finding yourself stuck in the same traffic jam or you're always waiting, you're always missing this connection or... You know, it, you always see people making a long walk because there's not a stop or, you know, whatever the whatever the thing could be. I mean, not having a bus stop is a more simple thing, but I mean, there's there's a, a huge range of, of things that needs to be addressed. This is we're basically in a situation where we've kind of ignored transit for the longest time and now we're trying to pick up and make up the slack there. So, um, yeah, get in touch, reach out to us. We uh, we would love to help and uh, yeah, move things forward. Thanks for joining us tonight. Um, be sure to uh, visit transitmatters.info for more news and information and subscribe or sign up to volunteer. Uh, we can't do this alone. Um, follow us. Keep the conversation going on Facebook, Twitter, Reddit. Um, subscribe um, to our MBTA subreddit. Um, post news and start new discussions. You can also email us at feedback at transitmatters.info. Um, we always love hearing um, from fellow transit writers and those who care a lot about the future of our system. Cool, and you can also uh, find us online uh, in other ways. I'm at uh, as an individual, I'm at Critical Transit, and there's also I also sometimes tweet at Transit Matters now that I've uh, learned how to do that. <laughs> but usually, uh, you can blame Mark for that. Cool. You can follow me at Hatchback Thirty One, uh, and I tweet at J A R J O H. And as you know, um, you can see um, the most important um, Transit Matters um, tweets from at Transit Matters. <laughs>